0: What this article um, is all about is really how different kinds of property and ownership arrangements allow for different kinds of relationships between people. And um, I'm addressing two different sets or bodies of literature. One is, and I'm going to not talk a lot lot about this here, maybe in the discussion we can come back to that, is really the um, kind of... um, literature on urban, um, 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 on urban accumulation, urban change, gentrification and so on, David Harvey and associates. Um, the second set um, um, of literature that I'm interested in is is literature on on the Indian middle class. A lot of that has come out recently, and it's very focused on consumption. And I do take property and real estate here really as a way of trying and look at consumption from a domestic perspective. In other words, making the work on um, consumption, the perspectives on consumption, a bit more weighty by um, using the example of something that is not just... um, um, easily consumed, easily purchased, but um, is always part of very long-term strategies and negotiations. Now, like other Indian metros, Kolkata has not only changed its name, but the newly revamped Kolkata has seen its fair share of urban restructuring over the last two decades. Initially directed towards foreign investors in the ailing industrial sector, government-funded projects have more recently included private-public partnerships funding infrastructure projects and middle-class housing. Today, the imagery of condominium residences, of malls and other markers of a inverted commerce global city signify consumerist middle-class lifestyles, and Kolkattans have come to see investment in real estate as a desirable marker of middle-class aspirations. Across the city, the industries that produce housing as a commodity marketed to middle-class residents have changed the urban landscape, and talk about buying an apartment has become commonplace. Um, it is part of future aims for individuals and families and certainly very much an aspiration that is put forward by those who consider themselves to be young professionals. But unlike other consumer goods, properties are also homes shared by the whole family and thus are much more than mere objects with an exchange value and a powerful association with upward mobility and individualism. As the built environment shapes and determines the lives of those who produce, procure and use it in multiple ways, real estate, property discourses and debates around ownership are implied in the way the institution of the family changes now in this paper I'll I'll focus on a kind of genealogy of different kinds of homes different kinds of family constellations and different specific kinds of domesticity that are produced and in particular um, look at intergenerational and gender relations that determine ideas and possibilities of ownership therefore mediating real estate and its appropriation Um, Just a quick word about the middle class who and why. The focus will here be on Bengali-speaking middle class families who are Hindu, most of whom I have known for more than two decades. And in this section of society, liberalization policies and the economic and social changes experienced over the last decades have had very far-reaching consequences, and they are not all positive. The disinvestment in particular um, in public institutions and the ongoing privatisation of services have had mixed and often adverse effects on the social mobility of those families. um, As educational and marital and employment strategies um, had to be adjusted to the fact that the state was no longer the main employer. Consequently, this section of the so-called old middle class, uh, which was very sub- uh, dependent on state subsidies in the form of government jobs, free education, affordable health care, has been most sceptical of liberalisation's positive effects. Um, here, as in other places um, in India and abroad, um, the middle class is very, very uh, um, strongly stratified, but it's united in its partaking in what Nilo Fernandes has described as a cultural politics of being middle class, status which involves competitive educational marital and employment seeking strategies is increasingly also identified with particular kinds of consumer practices and together with disinvestment in the state sector these consumer risk lifestyles have produced new pressures for middle class families here these are often raised in course of generalized uh, conversations about liberalization and its uh, discontent um, and the accompanying neoliberal values, including individualism and what people refer to very often as consumerism, with reference to West Bengal, the state um, of India that um, I'm talking about, the expression um, "gari bari car house" has come to substitute the proverbial phrase "kamini konchana" (women and gold) used in the 19th century to describe Urbane lifestyles based on conspicuous consumption. Now, in conversations and newspaper articles alike. Um, Much of this criticism is related to real and perceived challenges in the way that families are organised, with the transformation of intergenerational and gender relations highlighted as sites of conflict. With imagery of aspirational lifestyles beamed into every household through various media, the wider processes implied have escaped from view. Scholars have shown how urban middle-class lifestyles are driving the processes of exclusion and how middle-class cultures create a need for class-segregated urban developments. As Fernandes argues, a new urban aesthetic produces politics based on what she calls cultural citizenship, in which the urban middle classes are constructed as consumer citizens. This is, in Kolkata as elsewhere, driven by the nexus between planners and politicians, advertisers and developers, which creates the backdrop against which middle-class lifestyle can play out. Practices that are related to this are, of course, um, shopping eating, and eating out, but also include those related to domestic life, for example, interior design and apartment living. However, up to now, very little attention has been paid to either the genealogies of middle-class domestic life After independence, in other words, a lot has been has been written about the very recent phase of uh, this kind of gentrification, if you so wish. Um, There have been a number of books coming out on, um, particularly, development in Delhi. um, Of course, on the exclusion of the poor, um, um, uh, on the uh, disappropriation of the commons, um, on the way that um, ideas about interior design, for instance, um, have infiltrated the way people speak about domesticity. But very little work has been been done um, to dig out. How did we come here? What are the kind of predecessors of these ideas? And is this actually really also new? And as you will see, um, I'm going to try and do some of that genealogical work, if you so wish. Um, I think one of the points that is very important to take on board here is that if we uh, start looking at this from the domestic perspective, if we start from the family rather than from the imagery or the the, uh, spatial relationships that are created uh, in public, um, then we will have probably a much better picture of what the effects of such representations really are. Um, And then we can start analysing property within the framework of new consumer patterns enabled by macro level change but also with reference to local and individualized histories and I do think that this is very important to do in other words what we will find is that the relationship between property and family or property and gender and the family uh, stems from local histories global middle class lifestyles and the operations of the state and I underline also local histories the the operations of the state and um, the global lifestyles have been emphasized in most of the literature whereas the local histories have um, barely been touched upon now, um, if I had to kind of um, scale this down, I would say very simply, and um, taking a clue from um, a lot of the kind of economic anthropology, really, um, on, you know, why we are not all rational, um, um, self-interested um, economic beasts, Yeah, I will try and t- ask the question, why buying a flat has not really turned into living in a flat for everybody? Okay. Now, imagining the city... Um, One of the big big bits here is of course how do people think about their city, how do they think about their environment and what effect does the transformation of the city, the actual restructuring taking place around them have on the way that they think about themselves in relation to the, the urban environment and of course property. Um, From the mid-90s onwards, when I started working in Calcutta, it came to be reimagined by planners and politicians in the light of the new middle class and its lifestyles. Infrastructure made earlier remote areas accessible and desirable, and developments to house IT industries and uh, provide residences for its workers came up in specifically designated areas. Investors were now prepared to collaborate with government agencies on hospitals and schools as well as residential developments. All these um, developments aimed at middle-class customers, and I'm doing these inverted comma signs here because, of course, at that point, it was not quite clear who this really was. Um, The flyovers were for those able to afford cars. The private hospitals were for the increasing number of customers commanding private health insurance. And the schools were really intended to aim at business families and those whose companies were going to pay fees. But most importantly, the housing developments were advertised as ideal for middle-class families, which in this new world implied nuclear and single-child families who would command the salaries to invest in real estate and happily get into debt to buy a small apartment. Together with the novel spaces for middle-class work and leisure, like here, this is one of those spaces, um, apartments became sites identified with a sense of arrival, as much for the city as for its inhabitants, or as Patha Chatterjee has referred to it, the city with its, its middle-class residents were finally bourgeois. In advertisements, on billboards and media stories, such visible markers um, um, of urban development fed through media images became intrinsically linked to individual achievement and success, and real estate in particular signals appropriate forms of being a citizen now. In, um, in a way through modern professional coupledom which does compete with the norms of the joint family and the demands of care for the young and elderly even among those who are unlikely to ever be able to afford such such luxury and of course that is the vast majority of the middle class, let us not forget elite housing developments like the infamous South City are recognized as landmarks, as signs of the new urban times and of course as kinds uh, as a kind of progress in this climate The authorities have turned into promoters of middle-class dreams with well-established construction companies providing, in inverted commas, residences for the 21st century for the chosen few, whilst dubious promoters, and there is this double uh, discourse on it, um, peddling their trade from tea stores, offering off-plan apartments in far-flung suburbs to less well-heeled aspiring homeowners. From the 1990s onwards, commodity consumption has begun to define what being appropriately middle class means. This includes the marketing campaigns aiming at middle class buyers of properties of new homes as an investment opportunity and as spaces of desired modern family life. Investment in urban housing has also been promoted by successive governments through subsidies and private-public partnerships. Thus, whilst ownership and apartment were recast as positive sites for the appropriation of middle class urbanites references to markets, real estate, and consumerism were often used negatively by my interlocutors and it 's very interesting there is this, uh, there is this uh, parallel discourse what Morris Bloch would have um, referred to as a cognitive split, which, of course, doesn't really irritate anyone because people can hold different ideas about the same thing at the same time, as we know, where, um, on the one hand, ownership and apartment are positive things. And on the other side, um, the real estate um, and market and consumerism are very much uh, coded as negative. Within this discourse, debates over housing and residential patterns contest existing values and desirable social relations, including those within the family. So um, I will now relate these kind of transformations more directly to the institution of the family, um, and this implies that we look at earlier forms of housing and what they, um, uh, se- uh, um, what they indicate about des- desirable ways of living together. Now, just in time for post-liberalization's uh, social and economic transformations to materialize, property has recently um, also experienced a comeback in anthropology, and that's, of course, lucky for us working in... Um, in um, urban India. Whilst real estate may not be as popular a field as the more fluid, flexible forms of property, the sexy cultural property or DNA and things like that, which have invigorated debates about the use of property in anthropology, the collapse of the um, socialist regimes and their collectivist ideologies have uh, brought other kinds of property to the fore again. And I'm referring here to the work of um, people like Chris Hahn and uh, Verdery and Humphrey. Just like the current interest in urban restructuring in India, these new studies discuss real estate markets and their effects on social relations and thereby challenge naturalized ideas about possessive individualism and economic rationality through contextualization. Um, And what these uh, studies in post-socialized socialist conditions do is of course question the the, um, assumption that the moment people have the um, possibility to buy, they will buy. With reference to India, post-liberalization had a similar effect as processes of privatization had in socialist countries, as state disinvestment and privatization uh, became aligned with ideologies of property and citizenship. Furthermore, the emerging property regimes, mostly described as new forms of accumulation involving land and real estate, link this body of literature to that on accumulation and dispossession. In relation to uh, property, recent debates about the privatization of national assets and the appropriation of the commons, often by way of state appropriation, highlight the contestation of existing property regimes. Today, the post-independence developmentalist state, with its rhetoric of redistribution, on behalf of the poor, has been substituted by policies that encourage private ownership and investment in real estate. And of course, this link between uh, what the state promotes and um, subsidizes and what middle class uh, consumers want is a flexible one. It is one that has emerged over time and it has predecessors. Different kinds of property and ownership arrangements allow for different kinds of relationships with relatives in the family, and local histories of domestic arrangements come to bear on the ways new subjectivities are appropriated. Not only does the joint family ideology provide the framework here for those involved to negotiate different ideas about ownership, it imposes severe constraints on the realization of such neoliberal ideologies. For instance, individualism or the idea of coupledom, of course put forward um, by Anthony Giddens as one main marker of new um, subjectivities and the focus on the nuclear family. Um, let us link this to particular kinds of homes that uh, people are talking about and have inhabited over the last um, uh, uh, couple of decades. Middle-class housing um, has... Um, Developed in, in Calcutta in relationship to the um, to the migration of very wealthy landlords to, to the city um, during the colonial period and this is still very much a point of reference for those who are living in the central and northern parts of the city and I will refer to the central part of the city really as the traditional centre. This is not uh, strictly speaking true um, but I have done most of my field work initially in a place called Taldola in uh, central Calcutta uh, which um, um, has a lot of this kind of old um, middle class affluent housing and so this is an area that I'm quite familiar with um, which is referenced by those who don't live there as old traditional and not progressive and these things will fall into place when you, when, when we go into what um, the family is really all about in, in this particular context um, these are former residences of business elites mostly, although a lot of people who live there now might not be business people, but they were really uh, funded by money that was won uh, in trade. They are these um, houses that um, those of you who have, have ever um, saw films about Calcutta are probably familiar with They are built-in new colonial styles, and um, many of them are... Um, here, um, adjacent to small slum areas. So these are very heterogeneous areas uh, in a way, but at the same time are very old and established areas and used to be um, wealthy. Those middle-class inhabitants in these areas used to be extremely wealthy. Now, another marker of these particular houses is, of course, that they were built by one um, person or one funded by one um, initial um, 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 male um, ancestor and have since then been um um cut into little bits and pieces multiple times. In other words, although the family might be influential as a family in the area, might even um, have uh, quite um, uh, huge financial assets, um, the, the flats in these places, the, the actual homes are extremely small most of the time. There are very few of these um, big houses which have not been um, countless times kind of you know cut into little the bits and pieces, which also makes for the state of the houses because what happened here is that because um, property is inherited in the main line all the sons um, own these properties together and this goes on and on and on and you can imagine these houses here in this particular um, street were built um, around the 1880s and since then they have always been held in the main line so there are lots and lots of people who are coparseness in those houses Um, which means on the um, in effect that um, they have not been refurbished in any shape or form most of them in uh, in a pitiful state and individual flats might have been done up in bits and pieces but there has very often not been any substantial refurbishment um, that is really um, worth talking about okay Um, a lot of these houses are um, done in a traditional style like this Um, This has been done up since I took this photograph, actually. But uh, this is like a three-story building that was initially um, built for one family, and the lower ground floor is now rented out. The upper two floors are shared by two brothers. Um, They uh, have a communal kitchen at this point. Again, this has moved on, and this is, of course, in the nature of this long-term fieldwork, which is quite beautiful, but we'll just uh, assume it hasn't moved on. Um, There's one uh, big kitchen, which is shared by everybody. And um, as you can see, the um, private areas, so to speak, are um, grouped around this courtyard. Um, There is downstairs a reception room for visitors and people who are not affiliated to the family so that you can't just kind of walk in and kind of stand in the middle of the private areas of the house. Um, And um, the bathrooms and kitchen in this house are in a terrible state. And this is quite relevant for what I'm going to say about, you know, how layout and refurbishment and investment relate to ideas about ownership. Um, In this particular family, a massive conflict came up um, very recently between the two brothers who own this house, not only because it needs substantial renovation, but also because um, one of them only has a daughter. And um, this means that, in effect, that um, her parents were actually not be able to give her part of this big massive house in central Calcutta, but will have, um, will be forced more or less by custom and probably by law as well to hand this over to her cousin and there 's a struggle going on now. Um, um, around this issue. Um, There is a custom in in Bengal which is very often enforced in court cases um, through the back door um, by which sisters and in effect here this cousin without a brother are expected to give their share of the parental property back to their brothers. So they get it but they never get it. They have to give it back. Um, and if you don't do that, um, your brother is able to contest that. Also, it will cause all sorts of problems with the rest of your family because you are um, seen as greedy and you know selfish and all sorts of things. Now, all of this, and this is an important point here, was absolutely not that important um, earlier when I started my fieldwork in the 1990s. Um, although, of course, uh, liberalization had already taken place. Calcutta was a late arrival at that and it took some time for all this to, uh, to take off. At that point, um, a lot of these old properties were really more used like tenants would use them in a way, right? You would not invest in them. They were not seen as a massive asset. They were an asset in the sense that you didn't have to move anywhere else. But they certainly were not worth anything because who would buy something like that? This has changed massively. A lot of these places are now um, bought up by developers um, who just kind of break it all down and build an, an apartment block there. And this, given the location in the middle of the city, would be one perfect example of that if these brothers were to agree on this and so on and so forth. And you can see where this is all going. So um, this is the untold riches that uh, of the title, really, where a middle class that used to, even when they had their own houses and homes, owned them, um, um, was... Feeling that this was not worth anything, that this was not a massive asset, right, suddenly feels, my God, you know, we are sitting on a gold mine here and a lot of um, trouble is breaking out around this. And this family, again, is a very good example for that. What has happened in the meantime is that the daughter, the the single daughter of the older brother, in order to make sure that um, her parents are still able to um, live in the place as they wish, she has married by now, but also to make sure that she might actually have a stake in that property, has moved from her in-law's house in, back into her parental home, which is of course unheard of um, in, the, in, the, in the kind of proper narrative of what joint family life and marriage and stuff like that means. Okay. <laughs> um, the second kind of property. Um, that um, that I I think is very important in the way that middle class Calcuttans uh, uh, conceive of change and conceive of appropriate ways of running a family within particular uh, structural um, surroundings is what I refer to as the refugee colony. And this m- does not mean a refugee colony in today's way at all. It means um, those areas of the city which came into being after partition when a massive number of mostly well to do well-educated, but of course um, through uh, flight impoverished, Hindu refugees settled at the fringes, what were the fringes of the city, uh, on squatted land most of the time. Um, These were mostly middle-class settlers, because the rest of them were settled elsewhere, outside the city. Um, And these um, settlements have become legit in the 1980s because of political support for the uh, left front. (laughs) The left front. (laughs) The left front. And um, these have become extremely affluent areas. In other words, what I refer to as a refugee colony is now really a wealthy suburb. The pattern in those areas is different from what we find here. Um, Because these families had to build up new lives, but also because these families uh, became uh, um, orientated towards salaried employment rather than business and um, sitting on their rental income, um, there was demographic change. These families tended to have, from the 50s onwards, fewer children. Um, They invested a lot in trying to buy plots and build their own homes. So they live mostly in self-builds in the sense of, you know, they designed some um, uh, faraway plot uh, for themselves, mostly um, a square, multi-storied building. Um, And the pattern there is different also because... um, These flats were already designed to give space to the um, young married couples. In other words, you know, there's an idea that privacy has to be enforced and enabled. Young married couples should have their own uh, room, which is not the case in, in um, this kind of building. They would probably have their own bed, but they don't necessarily have their own room. Very often what you will find is that a young couple gets a bed in the living room, and that is a multi-purpose bed. Yeah? During the day, it's a visitor's bed, and uh, not for sleeping, for sitting on <laughs> and eating on. And in the night, it's the young new- newlyweds' um, bedroom. Okay. In these modern homes in inverted commas which came up in the uh, suburbs from the 1960s, 70s, 80s onwards, um there were normally um flats that were separated um And one was meant to be for the son who was about to be married or would marry at one point. Um, Often these flats didn't exist but were just imaginary, a staircase leading upstairs. And those of you who are South Asianists are familiar with that, the staircase that leads upstairs. And then when the wedding is around the corner, suddenly construction, frantic construction work sets in and you finish that second floor. Um, privacy for the young couple became a central theme in that um, you would expect them to have their own bedroom. You would also expect them in a newly built to have their own bathroom. But what you would not expect, and that is a crucial point, what, family, what um, parents-in-law would very much fight and often prevent by structural layout and investment was to have their own kitchen, so there would be connections for water and everything upstairs, which would enable them to build a kitchen if they wanted to, but um, the in laws would not provide that. they would insist that the kitchen is downstairs where the daughter in law was expected and is expected to, uh, to work under the supervision of her mother in law um, um, which is normally dressed in this in this uh, p- uh, p- uh, term adjustment. There is a last uh, pattern that I have to describe, and that is um, um, a um, planned city, a planned sound township that is called Salt Lake that came up in the eastern, on the eastern fringes of uh, Calcutta and was intended by the West Bengal government as, uh, to house um, the, the, the struggling middle classes. Um, we can just kind of set that aside. You should just know that it exists, actually. Um, this became the most wealthy suburb of all, fully funded by the left Front government. It became the uh, favoured um, haunt of all the government ministers. Uh, there was a lot of corruption going on around the lottery tickets which were um, um, given out to, to acquire plots. And also, there was a kind of so to speak systemic um, exclusion of those who were w- less well off because you were forced to build a house within a certain period of time, and of course, very uh, small uh, small salary government servants, clerks, and people like that were not necessarily able to do that um, but Salt Lake served as an idea of cosmopolitan big scale you know modernist properly planned suburbs for a long time before this rampant um, development um, the building boom set in and um Uh, although a lot of my interlocutors in in Taltola, in in the um, traditional area where I worked would speak um, in negative ways um, up until the (coughs) mid-2000s about living in an apartment, Salt Lake, with its single property uh, single occupier houses very often really designs in a kind of what is called a Mawari Punjabi style so big kind of, you know, fronts and plants and decorations and cars and um, all this kind of stuff all the trimmings Um, was seen as desirable from afar, right? Um, This is the kind of uh, local prehistory, which i am kind of quickly run you through. Um, Let's go back to the amenities of domestic life. In spite of all these kind of historical shifts and ruptures, and by shifts and ruptures, I really refer mostly also to the the fact that partition changed a lot of the stuff that happened in Calcutta because so many refugees came, and it's barely known in in the West that uh, it took... um, a huge number um, of of, uh, refugees and integrated them in in a very short period of time. In the 1990s, before liberalisation really um, kicked in, Calcutta did not really have a market. There was not really a market in real estate before that. Money made from property would usually consist of rents, which were strictly controlled, and many such arrangements had been in place for decades, uh, making it impossible for landlords to raise the rents in order to invest in properties. Housing stock in old areas of Calcutta uh, was in a state of neglect, especially where prolonged arguments around tenancy agreements or um, squabbles between relatives ended in court cases which dragged on for years now um Bathrooms and kitchens in these old uh, properties, which proliferated with the separation of the property into ever smaller units, because of course if you cut yourself off from relatives you have to have a new kitchen and a new bathroom, uh, were normally uh, targeted for, for makeovers in the 1990s, because there was this idea that we are becoming all very um, modern and therefore we have to do something about these crappy bathrooms we have. But uh, the, what was um, hailed in a lot of the literature as a revolution in interior design, interior design became a very much respectable change choice for girls who didn't do very well at school um, to become an interior designer. Actually normally this turned out to be a little corner where there was a couple of tiles put onto the wall Um, and um, um, new uh, uh, water closet built in which nobody used normally and that was it um, usually what you could bank on was that um, when these kind of activities um, broke out and you could really say they broke out in a household that indicated that the med- marriage, um, of a wedding was around the corner um, so really there was not much investment in either kitchens or bathrooms and not much thought about these two uh, rooms either, living rooms remained very much the same, I've seen photographs of houses in well-to-do areas of the 1930s um, this is very much what you would find in, in north and central Calcutta. and really crucially um, most of the rooms in these kind of flats were used by women and men by young and old there wasn't one individualized room for anyone not the old lady had a single room not the school-going children had a dedicated place for themselves it was just a multi-purpose um, uh, um, flat for everybody Um, Now, um, one of the main reasons why this had to be like that, um, I was always told, was that the joint family setting would not allow for anyone to claim their own space in the the way that this was happening in those houses over there. And what these um, inhabitants of old Calcutta meant by that was, of course, um, the the former refugee colonies. There, over there, meant there were people who were not living with their parents, although most of them did, but that was their feeling. They over there would have only one child. The poor child was incarcerated with these old people in the flat and would not have cousins to play with. Um, Over there, you couldn't get servants, which is a very important uh, part part of middle-class domesticity in, in, in Calcutta. And again and again, interlocutors said that apartment living wasn't for them. In other words, the idea that apartment living was something desirable, indicated modern ways of life, was absolutely not appropriated by those guys. They, they were very strictly against apartment living because it was also um, related to the idea that you as a female in particular had to, have, uh, to work so much harder. You didn't have all the servants you wanted, you didn't have your sisters-in-law around, you might not even have a daughter-in-law, where would you accommodate her? And so um, this was certainly not something that one would aspire to. What younger women, and this is important here, women had different perspectives on that. Of course, younger women, very often unhappy daughters-in-law, would uh, think of apartments as these spheres of, you know, a conjugal bliss but would very rarely take steps to move in them, even in cases where they had the chance. And I had a couple of encounters with young women who were actually offered a company accommodation or something like that and did not go for it because they felt, how can I possibly bring up a child by myself without all these servants, mothers-in-law, sisters-in-law, all these helpers? I couldn't possibly do that. Um, So in that sense, young women were kind of in, in two minds, and I would... Um, uh, suggest that one could paraphrase Virginia Woolf's programmatic title um, of a room for um, of one's own, that it is really a room for one's own that they were uh, desiring. They wanted a room for, for their nuclear family. And very often what uh, happened in those houses was at the time that they would have a big one steel cabinet that was theirs, where they kept their thing. A marker of distinction was also that you would buy your own fridge or were given your own fridge uh, as a dowry and you would keep nice little snacks in your fridge which you would not share with the joint family, okay? Um, But that was already pushing it. And um, that was only very, very um, full-on daughters-in-law would actually do that by their own fridge and keep it in their bedroom, okay? Um, The focus here was very much on the relationships between parents and their children. And although we normally project this into the future when we speak about this, we speak very much about the nuclear family. Here's the new nuclear family. Here's the couple with their children. This was projected into the past, so to speak. This was the relationship between them and the in-laws. This was the relationship between daughters also with their own parents, which might stem from the same old-school Calcutta neighborhoods. So in that sense, you know, if we speak about the family um, and interdependencies we have to look at both sides in a way even where modern housing is concerned. Um, Now in the um, modern homes this was all slightly different because on the one hand you had some private space and you had the possibility the built-in so to speak possibility to separate at one point and at the same time um, you were forced um, to to present a unified front um, one of the problems that was very often raised in these modern homes was where you have, of course, one heir, normally, because there's only one son, right? So the daughter in law is looking forward to having this whole thing to herself at one point. This already um, discourages you from moving out. The second um, uh, point that was discouraging them from moving out was also, of course, the um, question of bringing up children. The idea to bring up children by themselves is very much despised, yeah? You should have a set of people looking after children. You should not be a mother, in the kind of European way, um, looking after one child by yourself. Um, so in that sense, there were, again, massive issues around the idea of joint family living that would prevent young couples from moving out. And let's not forget, even the most entrepreneurial, and I've known a couple of them, um, young um, newlyweds who wanted to open their business could not get to the money. The money was tied up in these properties and you had to wait until the old man passes away because before that there was no way of getting a, a, a single rupee out of that uh, property and that led to a lot of disenchantment but at the same time encouraged the younger uh, couples to stay with their family. So there are already a lot of you know, structural constraints, um, not to speak about the morality of moving out, and that was raised in both situations. Um, Moving out meant that you were more or less certain to have a ongoing conflict and it would create a rift with your parents-in-law for the daughter-in-law, no question. That was something that happened in cases where uh, the conflicts could not be resolved or where the daughter-in-law was very assertive. Um, and it led to... Um, in some cases to complete uh, the breakdown of communication, but um, where communication was still possible, um, the situation was very, very tense over years and years and years. This is something that is not taken lightly. It is a betrayal in the eyes of the um, uh, f- uh, father and uh, um, mother of the son and it is normally instigated by the daughter-in-law according to them. Um, It is also, of course, getting the son in a very difficult situation and in most of these instances what I found was that marital relations suffered after that because the son was usually still in touch with his parents and had to kind of do things for them, take them to doctors and things like that. Um, And at the same time, Um, His wife was saying, well, now we live separate. Why are you doing all these things? And so on and so forth. So there were a lot of uh, very, very um, important implications if you took this step of moving out. This did not, um, however, stop a lot of my middle class informants from buying apartments. And I think that is an important point. Apartments have become a point of reference. They have become a, um, an important point of, um, you know, thinking about uh, you being middle class. They are a, um, an indicator of you have arrived. And a lot of these apartments are merely bought as investment Um, There are lots and lots of apartments along the Calcutta bypass which are empty because um, those who own them will not rent them out. They are worried they might not get out the tenants. The tenants might cause problems. If the tenants link up with political parties down the road, um, they might create a problem for you when you want to get rid of them and things like that. Um, So apartments are bought and um, people will proudly talk to you, in particular if you are a foreigner it is clear you will go at one point, you know, they will offer you these apartments to, for rent <laughs> very often, so that's how I come to know about a lot of de- apartments that even other people I knew knew the same family were not necessarily sure that were owned by those guys, um, but uh, they are very rarely actually occupied by the young family because of the aforementioned problems that this um, brings out. Now, if such um, apartments are actually used um, by the nuclear family, they are pretty much laid out in the way that apartments everywhere in the world are newly built. They have uh, dedicated areas for eating. They have dedicated areas for sleeping. They have living room. Um, there is one alteration that a lot of the young families make um, and, uh, funnily enough, has never been really picked up by developers. I don't know why. And that is that um, there are various ways of trying to recreate a reception room that isn't not actually the living room, uh, so the uh, corner right at the front of the, the apartment will some um, will be cordoned off by a curtain, or if you can, you put a sofa so that uh, the visitors sit with their back to the family uh, space. Uh, this is very common, in an in, in an attempt to uh, make sure that you know visitors and those who are family or very close family, are separated. And of course, visitors are not normally invited to eat at the dining table. They will be served food in those um, reception areas, right there, therefore the name. Um, and the family might eat at the dining table once in a while. This is a new um, convention as well. There are these um, fancy kitchens. This is not even one of the most fancy ones. It's a very common one, but bigger kitchens with proper air conditioning, uh, air condition, um, airflow <coughs> Um, people do not no longer um, eat on the floor of course they have dining tables or eat in front of the TV Um, and um, the bathrooms are usually a better affair than they used to be but apart from that they are pretty modest and do not necessarily uh, tie in with the literature on interior design at all because there's very little design um, to to show for that. Now um, what are the kind of the underlying changes that uh, that really determine how um, property relations might evolve if this apartment um, um, desire overwhelms more and more people, or in other words, um, if more and more young couples feel they should and would love to live separately there are demographic changes which play a huge role here one is that a lot of these families now have daughters only and that has made some of these decisions slightly easier Um, what happens in those cases is that the daughter of course is the heir of whatever the parents own There will be very often a concerted effort to make a son-in-law move in with her family, which is difficult, but you can get one who might agree to that, um, given that she will inherit something, so that makes it easier. Although, of course, the Gorjamai is um, traditionally the the butt of jokes. But there is a new pattern whereby parents can, if they have a daughter, persuade um, a son-in-law to move in and stay with their daughter, who will then look after them which is an entirely new pattern. Not that it has been completely unknown, but it was not ne- necess- nearly as, as common as it has become. The second um, thing that is happening around apartments is really that apartments um, may and can be demanded as part of marriage negotiations. More and more middle-class families say, well, we also give an apartment. Right? The question is still, and it is an important question, um, what, how will the ne- negotiations after the marriage turn out? Will they be allowed to live there, or is this apartment just a part of the assets that they get? Okay? This is not necessarily always very clear cut, and I have known um, um, a number of families where the apartment was given in, in, in marriage, so to speak, but the, the young family was not allowed by the in-laws to move in there. And there was a continuous uh, struggle going on over. Can we now move to our own apartment, which my parents bought for us? Okay. But um, this, this might become much more um, 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 obvious and, and acceptable in, in the future. I'm not quite sure about that. One thing is for sure that ancestral homes... In the widest sense, those ho- homes where the husband grew up are still considered the moral spaces for family life. They bring up, they, this is where you bring up children in an appropriate way. And this is even true for those who hate to live with their in laws, for those who moved out, who um, experience massive problems. A lot of these women in particular will still refer to the joint family as the ideal, in particular where children are concerned. The joint family is the way to bring up children. It's the way to socialize children into Bengali middle class lives. Uh, The the joint family um, makes it very often possible for young couples and young families to save an awful lot of money. Let's not forget that's a massive important point here. and um, arguably, you could say that the joint family allows for a quality of life that nuclear families can barely afford. Very few nuclear families would have the same standard of life, a uh, living that um, can be um, afforded by a joint family. Um, And last but not least, and that is, of course, a big uh, point in question, um, the joint family allows filial duty to be carried out. And this by now expands and encompasses the duties that these daughters, these single daughters, have towards their parents as well, but certainly the duties that a daughter-in-law and a son have towards his parents. Um, Many of those, especially um, in... in, um, in those in, in central Calcutta would talk, therefore, about the joint family as a place of um, moral rather than economic or social relations in that sense. yeah, The joint family is not necessarily referred to as a happy place to live, <laughs> but it is <laughs> referred to as a good place to bring up children. It's a good place um, to form yourself as well in an appropriate person, in particular for women. Yeah, If you live in a joint family and you manage to live through Out your married life in a joint family then you have made it you have made it to that stage where you can look down at your daughter-in-law and say like I've been there okay I know it's hard yeah but you will come out at the other end and be the perfect matriarch yeah you will be a well-rounded individual now this might sound extremely old-fashioned but it was put forward by the vast majority of those I spoke with in either form of accommodation with either uh, form of local history in the background Coming back to the question of um, real estate and and new images of what a proper family um, life would be uh, be in the new India, in the new metropolitan areas, which really provides the backdrop for this broader story um, of an arrived middle class and the supposedly homogenous consumerist identities of the happy single child family. During the last decade, upward mobility was, of course, very much associated with this kind of apartment living. But what I tried to show is that the association does not necessarily reflect that, uh, the, the kind of pr- multitude of practices that is involved here. Um, I would also uh, question that there is a trajectory here that just is very linear in the way that everybody is just going to move out into these apartments. That is probably not going to happen. There will be those who do that and there will be those who don't. And those who don't, and that is really an important point to me, are not necessarily forced to stay put. They decide to stay put. Um, and that speaks of the persuasive way that the joint family um, ideology covers a host of more um, diversified, more, more complex um, Ideological traits, amongst them the idea of filial duty, amongst them appropriate gender relations, and very importantly, of course, amongst them um, how to bring up children, how to make proper persons in, in that kind of context. So. Firstly, the references I have uh, found suggest that many of these flats that middle-class Calcuttans buy are vehicles to invest, really, in real estate rather than the new homes for a nuclear family. And I think these two things have really to be seen separately. That does not make them less interesting. Don't get me wrong. It's very interesting to see something that is designed and spoken about as if you were to live there, Yeah. Transferred in marriage uh, negotiations, you know, when your child graduates, um, very importantly used to say, "Well, I take this job or I don't take this job," but it makes it into something very different, probably more akin to um, the much cited health insurance that comes as a perk with a lot of jobs. Yeah, but we can discuss that. What kind of thing is this here? Yeah, it's certainly not necessarily a future home. Okay, um, a lot of these um, transfers are, of course, also done to launder illegal money. And again, that is a point that I would like to um, um, impl- um, kind of explore more in the future. It is a mystery where all this money in Kolkata comes from. This doesn't come out of the IT industries, that's for sure, right? In other words, unlike in Delhi or Mumbai or Madras for, or Chennai for that matter, Bangalore as well, we do not know where the money comes from, okay? Um, and that is one of the things that is problematic around these apartments as well, because uh, when you look at it from that perspective, here is money that is floating around, has to be put into something that is visible, quite visible, right, to everybody, and at the same time cannot be gotten rid of easily. So what comes around, goes around, comes around somehow, yeah? It's something I haven't explored yet. I would like to look at that a bit more, you know? Um uh, thirdly, whilst well, narratives about the <coughs> rapid changes the new spaces um, uh, bring about um, um, are, are rampant, you know we also need to look at the continuities and we have to look at the continuities not as something that is just a leftover but very often as something that is on purpose produced by those who are acting um, within that kind of new um, world amongst those I work with, only a very small minority did uh, um, not own or not aspire to owning a flat, although most would not even dream to move into one. When asked what has changed in Calcutta more generally over the last 10 years, the issue of condominiums and gated communities and flat living were constantly referred to. In other words, it's something that um, those you speak to were constantly referred to as a matter of fact. But when you then ask, and I have a lot of genealogies, of course, accumulated over the uh, last um, 20 years, um, it uh, who of your relatives actually moved to their new, uh, newly acquired apartment? You will find, oh, well, you know, no, not really. Or you will even find um, occasions when they said, yeah, they did go there. They, they, they made it like for three months and then they were back because it was horrible. You couldn't live in that place, you know. So there is a whole uh, story here about why this would constantly be cited as one of the things that is changing and making Calcutta into a global city and at the same time, the refusal to actually act upon that and act in this global cosmopolitan manner that is um, um, very much related to ideas about not so much Western ways of living, much more Eastern um, Asian ways of living. So there's this orientation towards Hong Kong and Singapore when it comes to speaking about urbanism and the new city. Um, Ownership ownership of such properties, apartments in particular, is a shorthand for ideals of individualism, strongly associated with values and the symbolism of coupledom, a couple owns an apartment now, and potential violations of gender roles and age-based hierarchies as well. As newly built flats are freely available to all buyers, regardless of their position in the family, buying one is the prerogative of those who have a salary. And again, you know, that is a problem. Um, Here is a son who earns more than his dad and buys himself an apartment. Right in a situation where he should only inherit once the dead has passed away. So they cause a discrepancy between you know symbolic and um, um, financial capital that you command at a particular time in life. Having said that, it is also becoming very com- uh, common, and again, this is upsetting a lot of the elderly generation. Um, that younger uh, salary earning. Um, couples buy flats for their parents, right? Which is, in the words of one of my really um, kind of elderly uh, interlocutors, is, um, you know, the world has gone wrong. The world has gone topsy-turvy. Why would my son have to buy me a house? Or, he pointed at the neighbours and said, or even worse, their daughter has bought them a flat, Right? So you can see how this is all kind of uh, going all over the place and the negotiations around that are not finished by just saying, oh, you know, I bought your house and now you are quiet, okay? So there is a certain freedom associated with buying. Um, there is a f- c- certain um, um, individualism um, in, in kind of materialized through becoming a flat owner. But at the same time, this draws you back in a different way into the fold of the family and all these negotiations about you know, who is looking after your octogenarian mother um, and how are you going to use um, whatever you inherit later on. Now, the detrimental effects of these transactions uh, have been articulated regularly by the elderly, Uh, who fear that daughters-in-law or even their own sons might actually move to a flat, that uh, they may be the the recipients of a flat which looks a bit like charity and it shouldn't, you know, at the same time, you know, you don't say no um, to to that kind of present. Um, But also by the young who feel that on the one hand they should acquire these assets and at the same time cannot afford to keep them. And so there is a lot of ambiguity around the idea of apartments, although they might look tempting, they seem to be something that is going to destroy you in the end, that is going to make you half of what you could be if you stayed in your joint family. Um, and you could argue that, you you could argue in a way that um, what Appadurai refers to as the specter of new ways of living really is um, embodied in the an apartment that is not glamorous in any shape or form, that is in a far-flung suburb where you cannot get by any pu- public means of transport, in a what they call a jungly area, a jungle area, um, imagined as empty of people. Of course, it's not empty of people, but uh, devoid of people, particularly devoid of servants who could work for you, um, where you can't buy anything because there is no um, proper market, and where you will be burgled and killed. By people who come in from the far out which uh, outlying villages and this is very much a ghost that haunts these stories about those who did it who moved to apartments they were threatened someone was murdered there are stories and stories like these urban myth about those who dared to move to an apartment and moved out of their shared um, joint family home and um, were, were murdered and killed by either their own servants or by someone who came out in, in from the cold now As we have seen, different kinds of property and ownership um, arrangements allow for different kinds of relationships with relatives, and local histories of domestic arrangements come to bear on the ways new subjectivities are appropriated. Not only does the joint family ideology provide the framework for those involved to negotiate different ideas about ownership in this new India, it imposes severe constraints on the realisation of neoliberal ideologies." Um, For instance, the realization of individualism, for instance, the realization of coupledom and the focus on the nuclear family. In other words, in a kind of roundabout way, that what is supposed to set you free actually restricts you and makes you live through all the um, ambiguities and you could argue the alienation that occurs in these new kind of times. While there is a distinct and often conscious difference between traditional and modern settings made in the local context, the boundaries between these two categories have become more fluent in the post-liberalisation era as the modern apartment becomes a site of desire and projection. Family life does therefore create property regimes that become materialised in the built environment and determine specific domesticities. Modern flats may be the future, But given the protective tenancy arrangements still in place and the reality of rather modest spatial possibilities in real existing flats, such accommodation is not always preferred and property is often secured as an investment rather than as a form of modernist residence reordering family life. With reference to these middle class families, this poses a problem as life in a flat is diametrically opposed to the joint family ideal, but also because disinvestment in the state sector has led to fewer jobs and a lot of people would not be able to afford a proper apartment but just end up in, the, in, the, in these um, deserts. Um, so um, on the one hand, there is a need of more fluid forms of capital for the younger generation, and on the other hand, there is a lack of employment for that younger generation, and they see that their parents are, have tied up all whatever is going to be available for them for a long period of time. That's the joint family, the backbone of Bengali middle class domesticity, provides security as the younger generation state put, even where they earn well um, from salaries in the private sector. um, But um, at the same time, you know, it is stopping them from moving on. Furthermore, the kind of domesticity aspired to tends to be arranged around housewives who do not go out to work, which implies not only a loss of income coinciding with motherhood, but which um, does for lower funding more generally. Uh, lower funds more generally and the need for many hands limits the advantage um, provided by renting or buying a property. Now, where the sons are concerned, their commitment to the joint family may keep financial pressure at bay. Where daughters-in-law are concerned, it makes them work much harder and uh, much harder than they probably would elsewhere. At the same time, both of them, um, if the son is a single child, are just waiting their turn when they will become those who uh, command um, control over whatever property is available. Um, All these kind of reasons add to the emotional attachment to the joint family home and explain why the decision to move to a new flat in itself represents rupture of social relations. This is well expressed in the local distinction between a bari, literally a house, and a basha, literally a nest, in many instances, the house in the former sense is also <laughs> symbolically the center of economic and social activities of the king, group, or lineage. As Levi Strauss puts it so eloquently, holding an estate made up of material and immaterial wealth, which perpetuates itself through the transmission of its name down a real or imaginary line. And that, of course, is um, in particular the case with all those who want to run a business, and by name I mean just generally kind of cultural capital. Crucially, if reference to neoliberal ideas, well, um Um, whilst Komarov and Komarov's notion of the millennial aspects inherent in the market rhetoric may apply, uh, we need to investigate how new property regimes determined by economic liberalisation challenge earlier social configurations in order to understand how the middle class consumer citizen emerges through internalised ideas of private ownership, the history of individualism, but also of possessions, um, so easily displayed where other consumer goods are discussed needs to be um, disentangled in relation to long-term changes affecting the institution of the family. This will also encourage approaches that look at new forms of sociality, re- relationships and the attending moralities through, through the lens of the family rather than sexual relationships alone as Collier states in her long-term ethnographic study of the family and property relationships in a Spanish village, which I very highly recommend because it's underrated. By promising unconditional acceptance, the modern family offers individuals a haven from the obligation to choose. Modern subjects, as Giddens observes, may have no choice but to choose. But modernity's construction of the family as based on natural rather than contractual bonds holds out the promise of relationships that exist prior to and in spite of the choices an individual has to make.